are the voyages of the starship Therapies. Its continuing mission to explore strange inner worlds, to seek out new insights and new realizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. You're such a jokester. Billy Eilish, indeed. Uh, Bones, I'll have to get back to you on that. Spock, what in the literal hell? Oh, hello, sir. No, absolutely no. You will not, oh, hello, Captain, how is your physical me? You are wearing a flower crown. You have the American flag projected onto a screen. You are listening to... What... Are you listening to 21st century American angel Lana Del Rey? Lana Del Spock, you have got to stop doing this. We talked about this in our last couples counseling session with one Deanna Troy. You said that you understood that it was important for our relationship to stop hiding parts of yourself from me. You said that we would be working on growing together and using clear and open. I statement communication. Yes, of course, sir. Spock, what did I say? Um, I, I, I see. No, wait. <clears throat> I feel surprised by your response, Captain. It was not my intention to hide anything from you. Your physical was scheduled to last until 0800, and we were to meet for lunch at 11Zs, at which time I was planning on telling you about my foray into mid-21st century Americana culture, or the counterculture movement, as it was called by one Dennis Hopper. Dennis? You, you know what? I'm going to take five deep breaths, just like we talked about with Counselor Troy, and then we will try this again. But who will intro the show? Spock! Yes. All right, sir. <clears throat> Listeners, you just heard the dulcet tones of one James T. Kirk, by which, of course, I mean Captain Justine Maston, LMFT, Yogini, writer, researcher, and the captain of this particular ship. Usually she would welcome you aboard, but presently she is engaging in deep restorative breathing. And I am Larissa Garski, LMFT, writer, researcher, Spockian first officer, and I will welcome you aboard. Welcome. Or, as the earthen hippies once said, hey man. Do you want me to do the next part? No, Spock, that won't be necessary. I am mostly recentered. Just a reminder to the listeners at home that just because we're therapists does not mean that we are your therapists. Unless, of course, for some reason... You have chosen us to be your therapists. This podcast is for the purposes of education and humor and is not intended to replace seeing your own therapist. Okay, all, all the rest of this aside, Spock, I, I think that you're talking about the mid-20th century, not the mid-21st century. I, I know you're, you're new to, to human history. Um, oh, Right, right, you are, sir. I yeah. was confusing 21st century, which belongs to Lana Del Rey, with 20th century, which belongs to Dennis Hopper and uh, Peter Fonda, who starred in Easy Rider. Now, I may regret all of this, um, but how? Well, as you know, sir, we we watched a variety of 
film and television um, centered around Mardi Gras for today's episode. And it was just a, a, just a wide range of things. We watched Easy Rider. We watched Disney's The Princess and the Frog. We thought we could drop into NCIS New Orleans, which, spoiler <laughs> or will alert, listeners, don't ever do. Um, so we watched, I believe it was the season four finale called Checkmate Parts 1 and 2. And we wrapped all this up yesterday. And so I was intrigued and wanted to learn more not about the princess and the frog, but I wanted to learn more about like Easy Rider. So I, I was just like doing some immersion here on the bridge, which I just started and I was going to share with you later today. So I wasn't trying to keep anything from you. It's just, you know, this happened before we were going to have lunch. That, that's mm. all. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I, in in the interest of us not keeping things from each other, you you do know Spock that I myself had a hippie phase. Yes, I think I've seen photographic evidence. <laughs> so I'm... full disclosure, sir, my favorite phase that you had was your grunge phase. <laughs> Those... They were fairly close together. The hippie phase and the grunge phase. I mean, it makes sense. Like, if you think about, like, the iconography alone, one really does very organically transition into the next. <laughs> yeah, it was like I could I could kind of repurpose some things, because I could still do the bell bottoms, because they were ripped. Um, <laughs> and then I would just, like, throw a, a flannel around my waist and then whatever stupid shirt I was wearing, that worked anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was a good yeah. time. It was a good right. time. Did you, like, do things that involved a lot of patchouli or incense? Um, yes, both of those things. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I, I engaged in a lot of burning of incense and wearing of oils. Uh- <laughs> For oh my myself, God. I did draw the line at uh, natural deodorant, which at the time was the crystal. That was the only natural deodorant. I'm assuming that like you didn't take some sort of like rose quartz crystal situation and just like rub it on your armpits. Yeah, basically. Hang on. Oh, my God. Crystal deodorant. People still use it. I mean, yeah. I mean, goop is a real big thing. Uh... Oh, man. No, now it's like real deodorant. They just call it crystal. Mm. So well, back in the day, it was... That's a downer. It was just, it was like a crystal. Oh, here it is. Uh, I'm sending you this picture. You can add it to the liner notes. There you go. It's on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. It says this page does not exist. Oh, it, but it does. <laughs> oh my god, there it wow. It says new 100% natural crystal deodorant stone for kids and adults. Lasts for years. 60 grams. <laughs> it's a naturally occurring mineral salt. Uh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I I definitely had friends that this was um this was the deal. This might still be the deal. I don't know. I'll, maybe I'll, maybe I'll get letters. I, I can listeners, please. If you or any of anyone you know 
any of your loved ones, <laughs> even people that you're not like super close to, if they used crystal deodorant, please comment on our Facebook page. DM us on Instagram. Like this is this is important stuff. Yeah, we, this is the the seven or so years older I am than you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, we're I'm really feeling the full weight of this <laughs> right now. Anywho, um, yeah. So uh, we we watched a lot of weird shit for this episode. We did, and I believe that when we were planning things out, we were initially we were because we, I, like listeners, I'm sure you're aware that like we try to sort of like time things to like we're, we try to like tie in themes, right? So sometimes we try to tie them to a holiday or to like a new like major movie or a television drop, um, like we did with The Witcher and Baby Yoda. Mm-hmm. Um, this year we were like, you know, what would be fun if we did another Mardi Gras episode, because as those of you who've been with us for a while, you probably remember last year's Mardi Gras episode, which was interview with the vampire. And I got to say homeoerotic. You d- yes, you did, among so many other things that you got to say. <laughs> and I got to introduce my partner to interview with the vampire, a film he had never seen um and still talks about to this day uh when i mentioned we were looking for things to watch my partner suggested something called the eye or the sight i don't know something <laughs> and and then he was like well why aren't you just doing an interview with the vampire i'm like because we did it last year pay attention right and it was good it was a really was one of my favorite apps that we did last season um and yeah, Eli, you should pay attention a little bit here. Um, but we couldn't do it again this year. So this year, we picked three. We picked three things. <laughs> um, we after three we met, after things. we met with our producer and asked him if he knew of any uh, fandoms connected to Mardi Gras or New Orleans, and that's how we came up with. Um, you know, the cornucopia, if you will, of Easy Rider, The Princess and the Frog, and NCIS. Or is it NCIS? Is it NCSI? Have no, I been pronouncing it wrong? No, it's NCIS. Okay, great, because I spelled it wrong here. <laughs> yeah, it's the Naval Corps of Investigative something. God, and this is why, like, it kept throwing me off because this all started because of the CSI franchise. Mm, no, NCIS has been its own thing. Right, but I think I think first it was CSI, and then it was NCIS. Oh, you mean you get confused because of the letters. Yes, because of the letters, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it was CSI Las Vegas, and then it was CSI Miami, and then it was the first NC... I-S. You just got to keep track of the people, right? Like Mark Harmon, NCIS. The the ladies love a Mark Harmon. Do I know who Mark Harmon is? You're going to look at him and you're going to be like, oh, yeah. There he is. I know him. You know, I think he actually was on this Checkmate episode that we watched. Was he? Maybe for a brief moment. You know, honestly, it's it's hard to say because now that we're talking about <laughs> NCIS New Orleans, 
let's just dive in. Um, so listeners, I've obviously never seen any of the NCISs, and it's been years since I've seen any of the CSIs, and I really thought that we could drop ourselves in a Medius race, if you will, and and that we could just pick it up, right? Because I was like, how hard, <laughs> how hard could it be? I can't convey how wrong I was. <laughs> I spent the first 20 minutes of Checkmate Part 1 just like going through different Wikipedia pages, trying to understand who everyone was, their relationship to each other, any type of backstory. Because like, they use so much lingo in network crime scene procedurals. I don't know why I didn't remember this, but like, it's so lingo heavy that like, as I said to my partner, I was like, they're, they're using English words, but they're in an order that like, it, it utter, their meaning utterly escapes me. <laughs> and see, I am so steeped in, in procedurals mm -hmm. that I, and I've seen so much NCIS and CSI, okay. but that's for another day. I did um, not know this. This is great. I'm learning. Oh yeah, I uh, I have seen all all of. I mean, not up till now because that's ridiculous. But I've seen like the first who the fuck knows however many seasons of NCIS starring Mark Harmon. Wow. Um, which I found out he's a douche, and that sucks. But anyway, mm. uh, <laughs> that's too bad. If you've never watched the original one, there's a character that's actually really fun. She's a scientist and she's a goth. Oh um, yes, I do remember her. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. um, but I've I've done enough done enough of these procedurals. I have steeped myself in enough of these procedurals that I was able to just drop right in. And this one was so much like NCIS Chris O'Donnell and LL Cool J. <laughs> I oh forget where they are. That's right. One time that version of NCIS <laughs> was playing at my nail salon. <laughs> and like they basically have the same people, you know, like uh -huh. they have the same crew. Right. So I was just like, oh, okay, so that guy is, okay, so he's like the tech guy and she's like, <laughs> and she's like LL Cool J <laughs> yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. and all these shows are trying to like they're trying to like tick all the inclusivity boxes mm -hmm. and i have to say it felt like almost south parkian when mm -hmm. the gentleman who is an african-american was also playing a person in a wheelchair but he is not a person in a wheelchair like he he's portraying that but that actor is not a person in a wheelchair. Yes, that I was able to pick up. <laughs> but I think that's what makes it so ridiculous. Yes. Also, Tom Arnold was supposed to be a hacker? In what world? Come on. Oh my god. I wish that I had written it down and included it in today's liner notes, but I didn't. Um, but there was one... At one point, Tom Arnold has... It's like the scene where they're all meeting. I think this might have been shot in New Orleans or like this specific scene, or it was just like a really, really sunny day. And they did a good job with like the terracotta-ness of whatever. But they're mm -hmm. outside and they're, they're meeting 
on some sort of picnic table type situation and everyone is like when it's each person's turn to speak they have to convey using their words both their name their job title how they are connected to scott bacula who they're trying to save (laughs) why they owe scott bacula and something quirky and fun about themselves (laughs) and they have to do this like rapidly um and so like tom arnold yes he is i don't remember his name but he has this like pork pie hat so i think that was supposed to be his stand-in for his quirky thing something quirky um and yeah he's a (laughs) hacker no one believes that tom arnold is a hacker and then at one point he in his speech he turns to the camera slash the person next to him and says something like and I love a good conspiracy. You know how it really gets me going. <laughs> oh, no. And I was like, what is happening here? And it just continued on like that. So I'm glad that you were able to drop in. <laughs> yeah, I just dropped right in. Because mm-hmm. you know what? I didn't. I'm not like you. I don't need to know what's going on. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I don't need the backstory. I'm like, no. uh-huh. This is what's happening. I mm-hmm. radically accept that. I'm radically accepting that Tom Arnold is a hacker. Oh my god. I'm and radically then... accepting <laughs> Scott Bakula. And his low-key southern accent. And his very fitted shirts. <laughs> they were so fitted, those shirts. My one question, and I didn't care enough to look it up, was... Mm-hmm. Why does this high-ranking NCIS officer own a bar? Did he own that bar? It seemed like he owned the bar. You're right, because he also seemed to live above the bar, which like you could <laughs> do without owning the bar. But they were also they were staged. They were they would have like really high stakes in air quotes and confidential <laughs> meetings at the bar. And I remember watching it at one point and being like, how did they clear out this bar so fast? <laughs> they were like, NCIS business, everybody out. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Mm-hmm. Yep, closing time. <laughs> and um, But with a southern lilt, maybe a banjo. Um, but yeah, it would make a lot more sense if he owned the bar. In why they met, they're not why Scott Bakula would own a bar. Yeah. Anywho, uh, so we watched that. And we did. We watched... And I think we can pause and we can name here that, like, I don't think that this had anything to do with our topic today. Um, yes. I think it can still tie in. And I, I believe you. And I, I'm excited <laughs> to hear how that works. But, like, we were trying to talk about, like, addiction and social norms and parties and how all of these things sort of coalesce. Um, he owns a bar <laughs> or doesn't I or don't doesn't. <laughs> yes um mm-hmm. but, but initially when when we just picked the topic of mardi gras we were right. just looking for stuff set in new orleans right mm-hmm. and yep. through watching these things a pattern emerged yes we watched The Princess and the Frog, which I had never I had never seen before. You hadn't seen it either, had you? No, I, I had not. And I'm going to let you take the lead on talking about your experience watching this particular Disney film. Because I think the listeners will appreciate it. This was one of my harder tasks. 
uh, was watching The Princess and the Frog. I had a lot of feelings. Most of them were around uh, choices that were made for the first African-American princess to be to be portrayed uh, by Disney. And uh, we, we picked this time frame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the, this film is taking place in the, the 1910s and the 1920s in the, the South, mm-hmm. um, obviously. It, this was not a kind time for people of color. Um, I mean, th- there have not been great times uh, for people of color, but we could have picked a, a better time than the 1910s and 1920s because the first thing we see is our our young someday princess with her seamstress mother waiting on this little white girl and it was just uncomfortable mm-hmm. and then <clears throat> long story short a prince turns into a frog that prince is of middle eastern descent he is neither black nor white and that somehow makes things okay with everybody <laughs> well and you're 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 hitting at what was the the most jarring part of the film for both of us which is that this film set in the 1910s and 1920s of new orleans does not address racism <laughs> right and i mean at all it does not address racism at all. The opening scene that you referenced where Tiana, who grows up to become the princess of the title, um, it, it, it's shown that like, her mother is a nanny and dressmaker who's fairly paid by the tiny white girl's dad, who's affectionately called Big Daddy. Yeah, I mean, f- fairly paid, but also we, I mean, we see that they have to travel a whole long way far away from the big houses to the tiny houses. Yes. Um, so like we can infer racism that we are headed to an other area, but (laughs) yeah, I, Let, let's just talk about Tiana's dad for a second. Mm, played by uh, uh, Howard. Why did I say that with such confidence when I clicked? I don't know. I was, just, I was just waiting. I was waiting for you to say the rest of it. Okay, um, hold on. Hold on. I'll find him. Terrence okay. Howard. Oh, Terrence. Really? Was that Terrence Howard? Yeah. No, Terrence Howard plays oh. her dad. Mm-hmm. Okay, It's cool. a blink if you miss it cameo. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I mean, who, who is an affectionate father, very, very, you know, as a family therapist, I'm like, great. Look, Tiana's family is intact. It's great. Um, but he tells her that there, basically there, there's no such thing as wishing, only hard working. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, like, that's not wrong. <sighs> But it's also, like, there's this whole unsaid thing. Right. Which is 
people like us in this place right now mm -hmm. can't make wishes the way that your rich white girlfriend can wish on stars. Right. Nor can people like us work hard and expect the um expect the positive outcome like your rich white girlfriend who looks shockingly like honey boo boo <laughs> shockingly it's, it was alarming mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it is i mean the film continues from there and it does it does attempt to depict the different social groups that really are the different classes as well as different races mm -hmm. like it has the the white trash hillbillies mm -hmm. who are the the only clear villains the rich white man is not at all vilified it's only the poor white people who are vilified which is just so wildly problematic and probably a topic for another time so i'll just like leave it there and say like really problematic mm -hmm. um and and then there's what there's the the, the fireflies who i think are supposed oh. to represent like the creole population yeah they definitely were Creole uh -huh. and were depicted as being, I don't even know what word I would use to describe what they were supposed to be like unintelligent, mm -hmm. messy, mm -hmm. um, there for comic relief. Although that one firefly yeah. was like the heart of that film. It was, they were very infantilized. Which mm -hmm. was, you know, in a way pretty emblematic of the way that African Americans were depicted in American cinema for, frankly, much of the history of American cinema. But mm -hmm. again, it's not done in a thoughtful, critical way in this mm -hmm. Disney picture. It's basically just reproducing old, problematic minority tropes. And it feels very close to, and one might even say, it feels like minstrelism. Mm. Oh... Mm. which is i mean it's disappointing on its face mm -hmm. but it's additionally disappointing when we think about the fact that disney said to themselves you know what the world is ready for a princess of color mm -hmm. and this is what they made i also found out from our producer um who like does like his own research into these things so i am inclined to believe him mm -hmm. um that apparently part of what was going on at Disney when this film was being made is that they, Disney as a larger corporation wanted to stop making movies in the old animation style. Mm -hmm. Animations from like the early, the late 80s and like early to mid 90s. Mm -hmm. And so they put their B team on this film. Oh. And didn't do a lot of marketing around it. And that way, when it came out and the sales figures were low, they could be like, well, you know, people just have moved on from this kind of cinema. They just love Pixar. Hmm. Well, that's disappointing. Yes. And I... If, if this film brought people joy, I am happy for them. This film did not bring me any joy. I don't know exactly who the audience for this film was meant to be. Yes. This film, I think that the night, the, it's not nice. If I'm channeling my <laughs> most generous self, what I can say is I think this film was, was pandering. Mm -hmm. And I think that 
it understood i think the makers of this film for by and large it seems like they understood that they were pandering um to this idea of increased representation to the desire that has been just existing for decades for a black princess mm-hmm. and they were they were you know a, a bunch of i mean not all white people but predominantly white people many of whom the ones in positions of power were white men so mm-hmm. as always re- as always so regardless of how well intentioned they were they did not bring in the necessary diverse voices to create a film that had like that that was about real diversity um they they did not go about this in a culturally sensitive or woke way by any means um they pandered to their audience in a way that felt somewhat similar to the way that i think jj abrams was pandering in the last star wars film oh we're just gonna slip right past that right now (laughs) and the only only reason i'm bringing that up is that i think i think this movie could work for some people but mm-hmm. I think for the people for whom this work, they're doing a lot of work. Mm, okay. They're doing yeah, a lot fair. of like narrative construction. I think mm-hmm. a, a much gentler way for me to put it and far less hot button would be like the Marvel Cinematic Universe asks it, its audience to do a lot of work in terms of creating a narrative, bringing both like nuance and sense to some of like their overblown plot heavy features and like this princess and the frog it asks its audience to do a lot of work and so i could imagine somebody who really wanted to do that work could create their version of the princess and the frog that they that really exists in their own heart and mind that i'm sure is beautiful mm-hmm. and that's not this film yeah and we didn't even get into all all of the tropiness that is the the prince who becomes a frog is a dick and i mean he's just he's just a womanizer he's the and you know he's just a he's a rich brat right Um, and then like inexplicably she falls in love with him just because i guess he makes a a nice dinner puts one together i don't know but then then and this movie has like five different endings because, <laughs> because of course it does. But one of the endings is that the princess decides to stay a frog because mm-hmm. she learns that love is what really matters. This person from this impoverished minority mm-hmm. background, after saving everything she had to try to buy a restaurant, she would choose to stay a frog. No, she wouldn't. No, she wouldn't. No, like, I I get that your family wants you to find love. And also, if, you know, because her father dies in the war, if if we could, uh, you know, I guess they were looking for reasons for parents to just be dead. I guess that olden times makes that happen easier. Well, I mean, but, you know, you like, know. that's kind of Disney's thing. They're all about yeah, single oh, parents. Oh, I know. Which, all... like, I mean, part of me is like props for giving... A face to single parenthood. I don't know if that's why they made that choice. <laughs> this is me trying to co-create a more positive narrative. <laughs> it feels like preemptive fridging to me. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that's. Uh-huh. And yeah, because mm-hmm. they're like, what makes you more resilient? What is going to point out more resilience for our character? 
We killed your parents. Terrible loss. But anyway, if we could ask her papa who died in the war, like, oh. what would you prefer? Your daughter to uh, find love and be a frog or have a modicum of stability and be a person? <laughs> I feel like Papa would say, mm, I mean, do what you want, Tiana. You're your own creature. But when I, <laughs> when I pictured your future, I pictured you a person, not a frog. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... I'm just going to put this out there because eventually, friends, we are going to loop back around. And this is this episode is very it's very fitting because we're talking about freedom and Easy Rider and the counterculture. And Easy Rider, which we're going to get to in a moment, is arguably one of the most meandering films ever made. Um, <laughs> prior to the Terrence Malick late stage era of his filmmaking, um, this idea of of freedom and social mobility and choice it very much is in the princess and the frog it's handled utterly atrociously but what you're saying speaks directly to that that like the freedoms and the choices and the social mobility that are allowed to um princess honey boo boo (laughs) tiana's rich white friend are like she has access to so much more. She has profound amounts of privilege that, mm-hmm. that Tiana does not have access to. So the idea that she would, she would, like, not only, like, she already has such f- far less choices. Mm-hmm. And that she would, of her own volition, make that smaller by staying a frog. I mean, I think the only way to understand that is the, something you were talking to me about earlier, um, not this week, but the week before, which is this idea of like you internalize the oppressor. Mm. So you have Tiana has been oppressed her entire life. Her choices have been minimized her entire life. Her freedoms have been taken away and abused. Her boundaries have been boundaries have been violated her entire life, and she has now internalized that force. So she herself is engaging in her own oppression by choosing to stay a frog. And only in a Disney film could that be depicted of as something even remotely positive. Well, because there, uh, there is an illusion of freedom, right? Because, mm-hmm. oh, this, this is the first time, time in my life I felt truly free, uh, which is mm. a very unspoken commentary about how fucked up our social system was at the time. Right. right. Uh, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like social stratification was so off the charts that it, there's more freedom being a frog than right than being a a person um coming from her socioeconomic status and race and and friends we're not going to go down this road right now because we're not we don't want to engage in just like just we don't want to double down on the princess and the frog bashing but like this is a <laughs> film that that has a witch doctor, oh, and a doctor. and a voodoo man mm-hmm. who is styled as a pimp. Yeah, and both of these things seem to be done unironically. And the voodoo man styled as a pimp has a queer affect. Uh huh. Which, like, I thought, I really, every time I think Mm -hmm. that the evil queer trope is dead, voila. (laughs) 
Well, and again, the prince had, um, a, you know, a, a, a fat, dumb friend. Uh, yes, who became, who also had an effeminate style about them in their mannerisms and speech patterns. He sure did. So, you know, anyone who was quote unquote bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, was Was some type of social minority. Yep. Yeah. Disney, and... what what year was that thing made? I hope they have a diversity department now. That film was uh, released in 2009. Oh. So, 11 years. Mm-hmm. A lot of good work happening at Disney. <laughs> uh, I mean, in all seriousness, there is some good work happening at Disney. And let us be clear, no one here is maligning the many amazing humans who work at Disney, nor no, are we, we maligning like, like the amazing um, kinds of art and types of art that Disney has produced. Mm-hmm. We are though saying Disney do better, do better, do better. <laughs> and also you can afford to give all your employees healthcare. Not all their employees have healthcare. No, but that's a topic for another day. Um, <laughs> no, they do this thing that like large companies do all the time where like they basically it's 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 not that dissimilar actually from like the therapy world where like they try to keep people as like contract employees basically. Ugh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's okay. talk about Easy Rider. Low Rider. <laughs> I, like, yep. I like that there was just silence just a beat of silence now let me say first that typically (laughs) i am the one that is bringing up media that spock does not want to consume yes this time as we were discussing things that take place in around or at some point in new orleans her suggestion was easy rider To which I said, have you seen Easy Rider? And she said, no. And I said, nobody wants to watch that movie. And she said, it'll be great. And and dear listeners, perhaps you're thinking, surely the captain is being hyperbolic right now. No. (laughs) No, she's not. I said with joy and light in my heart, it will be great. Because sometimes your first officer is wrong. Is wrong. So wrong. I, it, it had, it's been decades since I watched it. And I, I watched it again for the pod mm-hmm. because I, you did. Mm-hmm. I am a team player. If you listen to our last app, you know that part of being a compassionate leader is listening to your team. Uh, <laughs> and you did very much to your credit. You listened to your team and mm-hmm. you offered a strong counter argument. And when your team insisted, you said, okay, <laughs> I'll watch Easy Rider. My memories of it are from watching it with my dad and oh. just being bored out of my mind. Yeah. Which, and of course, this is just like one more example of the inappropriate media that I was exposed to as a younger person. 
Um, yeah, I know. Um, but okay. it was art. So, but, but what I remember about it is just being bored out of my mind. It was like, these guys are just on their motorcycles. They're camping. They're on their motorcycles and they're camping and it looks so hot. <laughs> oh my God. That is great because that is exactly because I made our producer watch with me mm-hmm. and that is what he kept saying. He was like, I don't understand why he's keeping his jacket on. <laughs> Like, right, because when you're riding, you need it in case you fall, sure. which uh, Peter Fonda, that helmet is not going to help you being on top of your satchel instead of your head. Well, no, but sometimes you just want to you want to feel the wind through your hair because it <laughs> feels like freedom. Right. These humans were addicted to freedom. And cocaine. Uh, and marijuana. And acid. <laughs> I don't know that they were addicted to acid, but they no, used it true. whenever available. That's true. When, when, if acid was there, they said yes to the dress. <laughs> that is maybe the, the weirdest uh, usage of that phrase ever that I've, that I've ever deployed. So, If they thanks, were presented a dress while they were tripping, they would say yes to it. Oh, for uh, sure. They would have definitely put it on. <laughs> I'm sure Dennis Hopper would have put it on over his suede jacket. <laughs> now, upon rewatch, mm-hmm. I discovered some things that I did not know, which is that Dennis Hopper, Peter Fonda, and some other dude wrote this fucking thing. Yeah, and Dennis and, directed it. Uh, yeah! What? And if we have any serious... Oh, uh... Kyle Rebar, who composed our theme song. He's a big film guy. Oh. Hey, Kyle. Do, do you have anything to say in favor of Easy Rider? Because we want to know. I don't just, understand. Or just, I like, don't really understand. Any thoughts at all, Kyle? <laughs> um, I know it was. it's considered one of, like, the cinematic centerpieces of the counterculture movement. I also want to put out there... Well, I want to put out a couple of things. One of the first things that struck me when this movie opened, because like this, this, all of the things that we watched involved freedom. So mm-hmm. Scott Bakula is trying to prove his innocence and regain his freedom in the opening Checkmate Part 1, um, <laughs> season four series finale. Oh, I see where you're going. Right? Lou mm-hmm. Diamond, spoiler alert, tries to take it from him, but... You guessed it, Lou Diamond is a minority, and so he's not successful in <laughs> Checkmate Part 2. Um, the Princess and the Frog also about like questions of choice, questions of freedom, who has the freedom to make what kinds of choice. Mm-hmm. Easy Rider, I think, is the most overt in trying to think about freedom and trying to think about different kinds of culture and different kinds of belonging into social groups. It has mm-hmm. moments where it makes gestures towards awareness. I'm not going to mm-hmm. say wokeness because that's certainly not there. I will no. say gestures towards awareness. The biggest issue with Easy Rider is that it is centered around the story of white dudes. Mm-hmm. No other stories take front and center. No. At all. So it's attempt to talk about prejudice and mm-hmm. 
being in a minority status and social class is really severely limited because its focus is again two white dudes and later on midway through the film a third white dude joins, joins them played by jack nicholson who is a delight uh but we'll circle back he is. He he is. He was a real delight in this film. When Jack Nicholson was killed, I was legitimately sad. I was like, "Oh no!" There's like forty <laughs> minutes left, and they've killed Jack. <laughs> like he was the only thing brightening yeah. this thing up. He really was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I see where they were going with presenting these folks as a marginalized group because the hippie. You know, the counterculture movement was looked down upon, especially in, you know, Squaresville of the South, which is mm -hmm. what they're riding through. Right. Because um, they're they're trying to travel to New Orleans. Mm hmm. Right. From from Mexico originally, where they uh, made a lot of money selling drugs. So great. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. But what what's a little lost here? is like yes okay you guys are being marginalized in this society i get it <laughs> also legit if you got a haircut and changed your clothes um you could you, you could cruise through uh these southern towns no problemo yeah you could cruise wherever you want to cruise mm -hmm. you have the freedom of choice and what I mean very specifically by that is you have the freedom, like you could make the choice to change. I And I know to Dennis, this felt very major, at least to Dennis's character. Mm -hmm. Suede was very important to him. <laughs> Extremely. It was part of his self-actualization. Mm -hmm. And it would have been hard to take off that suede and cut his hair. But here's the thing. He could choose to do or to not do that. There would be consequences mm -hmm. on each, like related to each choice, but he had the choice to do that. And depending on what he chose, that would give him increased social mobility. It would mean perhaps not being as publicly self-actualized, as publicly mm -hmm. out. And I want to be careful because it probably sounds like I'm being dismissive of that. I'm not, right? Because when we think about something like the queer movement, a lot of that stems from the fact that these are folks who could pass to sure. greater and lesser degrees, but they don't want to have mm -hmm. to do that because it isn't true to who they are in the inside. Mm -hmm. And so that's real. And while I'm being kind of silly about Dennis and his suede, it seemed like there were real things that were real parts of Dennis where he was like, I can't really be who I am fully mm -hmm. if I want to be able to go to New Orleans. And that that is legitimately hard. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing. I could have... I could have gone there and been so much more empathetic to Dennis if if they would they would have done something like in the first five minutes of the film, let the Hispanic wife talk, give her some lines. Oh, th th there was there there was like two to three women who had any lines at all in this film. They all failed the Bechdel test. I know it's going to come as a real shock. But like, but there were other people, there were other voices, there were moments being depicted. Like there is actually like way at the end of the film, and I, I almost missed this because I, I was so tired. I was so tired. <laughs> but our producer was watching it with me and he called my attention to the fact that like at the end of the film, when they finally make it to New Orleans, after our dear friend Jack Nicholson has been 
untimely killed by being beaten to death by a bunch of poor white people. And this continues what started in The Princess of the Frog of like really interesting stereotypes around poor white people. And by interesting, I mean bad and harmful. And mm-hmm. But anyway, they make it to New Orleans and they're hanging out with these, with two sex workers. Mm-hmm. Who well, one of them his... is Tony Basil. I don't know who that is, but we'll circle back. Um, she's the hey Mickey, you're so fine, you're so fine, you blow my mind. Hey Mickey, lady. Wow, that we'll circle back. So they're walking <laughs> through the streets <laughs> with two sex with like a sex worker on either arm, and. And they're and it's in the middle of Mardi Gras, and they have already taken well, they haven't taken the acid, but they've taken really every other drug they could take, and they're totally out of it. And you, the camera like pan is like pan is on them, and then shifts to show a white police officer look at them, clock that they are utterly inebriated, and also out with sex workers, turn away, ignore them, and proceed to a, a, arrest an African American man who was doing nothing who was just standing on the sidelines watching the Mardi Gras parade. Oof. Some social commentary. So some, like, there was some, and, and like, Dennis Hopper had to be thinking mm-hmm. to catch that shot and to keep it in the film. Right. No, it's not a multicultural story. It's, it is an age-old trope of a, a white man finding himself. Um... And the only thing it's really missing is, like, a manic pixie dream girl. Although, like, there were a couple of them in there, but... There were. They wouldn't have been able to really be one, because they... Oh, no! Jack Nicholson was the manic pixie dream girl! Oh. He was. And it's interesting you say that, because before poor Jack Nicholson meets his untimely end in the film, Mm -hmm. he and Dennis... So homoerotic. So homoerotic. Like, these two men, like, they found each other. Mm-hmm. They found each other in a hopeless place, just like that Rihanna song. And, <laughs> and I wanted so much for this film to commit to that. Commit mm-hmm. to that story. I don't right, care about Peter Fonda. I know he has beautiful hair, but so what? He's a very pretty man. Yes. Um, <laughs> we, we can all agree. Um... <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, there are some queer references, like in the in the diner mm-hmm. with the very square people. Like I saw two two males kissing. Um, like, oh, what are, what are we hinting at over here? So, like, yeah, there's there's some hints. Yeah, I don't, and I don't want to hold Easy Rider to today's standards. That's not fair. Sure. Um. Maybe queer baiting was brand new and exciting. Uh. I mean, I this is where someone who was studied in film like Anson Kyle Rebar would have, would be very helpful because mm-hmm. maybe because this was a more mainstream film, like it was about the counterculture movement, but it was made by like these these pretty like socially accepted rich sexy dudes. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe so. Maybe like that was newer to them. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, and if that's the case, good for them. I still uh-huh. find this film fucking interminable. Yes. All of the stuff in New Orleans mm-hmm. is just 
it 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 hurts me viscerally. Um, but I'm going to circle back to something because okay. there was a direction I thought you were going and you didn't go there. Oh, okay. Yeah, at the end of each of these stories, there is a death or a transformation. Mm-hmm. And in uh, in Easy Rider, it's brutal because basically all of our heroes die. First, it's the Manic Pixie Dream Jack Nicholson. And then... <laughs> rip. In the words of our producer, Rip. <laughs> rip. <laughs> and then... Um, Dennis gets shot first, but Peter mm-hmm. dies first, and then Dennis is just left there to bleed out. Bleed out, not unlike Scott Bakula. At the end of NCIS New Orleans, <laughs> checkmate part two. <laughs> yes. And Princess and the Frog, she transforms from the frog back to the woman. And what, is, what does this tell us? What have and, we learned? And, and let's not forget their little lightning bug friend dies oh god the lightning bug and in his death he's reunited with his star and i don't know if you this is where you were going but this is where i'm going so buckle up (laughs) it's happening one of the things that's interesting about the like myths of capitalism Wow, one of the stories that's not where that, i was going i know but here we are one of the stories <laughs> that's told it's variation on the theme of if you are a good person, you will get nice things when you die. Oof, yeah. And this is a story that is packaged in a variety of forms and sold to, and I'm going to bring it all the way back, people who are born as serfs. Ah! If you're a serf, you are fed the myth that it is only the only way for you to get happiness and celebration, which should be the conclusion of every hero's journey, is in your final hero's journey, i.e. you die and transcend and can be reunited with your star girlfriend. And by all the way back around, you mean hearkening back to our last ep when I had you explain the feudal lord system. That's true. (laughs) Listeners, we recorded this episode, these episodes back to back, and so... (laughs) So my all the way background is different from your all the way background. So good clarifying point, Captain. I'm going to keep going because Please we're really on to something here. <laughs> that, that, yes, that, that we sell this story to marginalized and poorer people. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> that you can have happiness, but you just have to be a good person and earn it and you'll get it when you die. Like the lightning bug and Princess and the Frog. Like... All of the easy rider men and easy rider. Like they they're chasing something, but they never quite get it. So maybe they'll get it when they transcend. Hmm. And 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 really, Princess Honey Boo Boo, she has all kinds of great things from the word go. Right. Like Princess mm-hmm. Honey Boo Boo and the Princess and the Frog. Like you look at that opening scene. Her bedroom is full of princess dresses. Mm hmm. She doesn't have to be, like, morally good. She doesn't have to earn it. She gets nice things. Why can't we all have access to some baseline nice things? Why do some of us have to earn it? Like Tiana's father is trying to tell her, you got to earn it, you got to be virtuous. No, only some people have to be virtuous. Or at least that's the story we tell. And I think that Mm -hmm. that is a story to deconstruct so that we can metaphorically transcend it and say, you know what? I want to have a nice life with my manic pixie Jack. 
and I'm channeling Dennis here. Like, I want Dennis to have that in his real life. In mm-hmm. the movie, he should have that. Why shouldn't he have that? Have his suede, his long hair, and his, and his romantic life partner, Jack. And his serious addiction. <laughs> well, his I serious mean, poly drug addiction. Well, yes, but you're right. And you're, and, and I mean, you know this because you are also, of the many things you are, you are also a licensed drug and alcohol counselor. That part of the reason people turn to organized substances is when they feel, they feel so limited and oppressed in their daily life mm-hmm. that they're like, I need to escape to this, my mental heaven for a while. Or the jungle and be a frog. Or the jungle and be a frog. Or the room above a bar and (laughs) pretend to be a bar owner instead of a high-ranking NCIS official. How do we be something we're not for a while? Sure. When we feel like we don't have the freedom of choice to be who we actually are in our day-to-day life. Mm Mm-hmm. And unfortunately... What that leads to is a phenomenon called the hungry ghost. Ooh, tell me more. Yeah, the, um, and, and this phenomenon is we are constantly grasping, we are constantly hungry, mm. and we are feeding ourselves, but we can never be full be- because we aren't, we aren't consuming what we actually need. Um, I know, which is... Which is very depressing, but that's, I mean, that's kind of how folks who deal with substance abuse, how it perpetuates itself. Because they just, they just keep trying to feed the ghost, but the ghost can never be full. I wonder if Scott Bakula's Hungry Ghost in NCIS New Orleans, and obviously I'm reaching here, folks. That's also kind of what we do here. Um, But (laughs) I, I wonder if, like, Scott Bakula's Hungry Ghost was, as you said, his work... Mm-hmm. in the ncis system. branch system clearly i don't i you can't drop into this program folks um, <laughs> you can't drop into this program. i can't drop into this program but you're but you're right like what seems to make him happy is meeting his friends at the bar mm-hmm. and he's not like he like they're rarely are they like kicking back and relaxing rarely are they enjoying what is supposed to be really great jazz music. It... <laughs> Not great it's on the fine. show. Um... <laughs> but like what ends up happening is like Scott Bakula is kind of like, like his, his hungry ghost or like also I suppose the phrase like chasing the dragon maybe works here too is like mm-hmm. he's chasing like the next job, the next project, the next thing. Mm-hmm. And it seems like part of his struggle is he doesn't know how to like turn to his friend what did you say her name was? CC Williams? CCH Pounder. CCH Pounder. He can't just turn to his friend CCH Pounder and be like, CC, you are my colleague and my friend. Hmm. Would you like to go hear some jazz with me in Nolens? And yes, that is how Scott Bakula would say it because his version of a Southern accent is he picks one word a sentence. And, and does a southern accent in that one word uh, yeah because i'm mean, clearly he and cch pounder are friends she bailed him out of jail right and she's constantly trying to get him to like let his friends help him 
He's like, like Scott Bakula is like, no, don't help me. I'm doing it on my own. And she's like, no, Scott Bakula. I don't remember his character's name. Um, she's like, no, we all love you. We want to help you. And that scene I referenced with uh, Tom Arnold, where everyone's going around the table talking about like why this person means something to them. Mm-hmm. Like he just doesn't know how to like fully connect with all his people. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, he's he's chasing he's chasing the other capitalist ghost, the ghost of productivity. Oh, I mean that's that's its own that's its own shenanigan. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but something that's interesting in all of these is that love is also a, a large part of it and um trauma which will also add to showing up in the world in this way of wanting to escape sure that is an interesting point right because many mm-hmm. of our protagonists in the films and television show that we watch, <laughs> like they, they, they've all, they've lost something. Mm-hmm. And so arguably they didn't like that pain of that loss was so profound and engaging in the grief process is so hard that they were like, well, what if I, could I sidestep grieving and just maybe mm-hmm. numb out around it? And mm-hmm. here's the thing. The answer is yes, you can. But what that also means is you are going to numb out from, any and all human interaction or like not not human but like any and all like interpersonal interaction right because um and just bringing up ifs because i haven't done that in a hot minute um the these which is internal family systems (laughs) david schwartz props to you for having a pronounceable name good good job (laughs) wait david is that dan Richard, 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 every time. It's Dick Schwartz. Gosh. Why do you do this? Why are you like this? Richard, yes. change your name to David. How do you feel about that? <laughs> you just, you really want him to double down on the Jew. I, uh, <laughs> I do. I really do. Just be who you are. Right? Put on your suede. Schwartzman. Um, But the reason this made me think of IFS is these sorts of behaviors, these kinds of escaping and numbing behaviors are typically the parts of us that are labeled firefighters. And they're the parts that show up when we're getting close to something real. We're getting close to those, those deep, dark, big feelings. And they just show up and they pour water over everything, whether it's appropriate to do that or not. And so exactly, it doesn't just pour water over the bad shit. It pours water over the good shit and the mediocre shit and the whatever shit. It's all just drowning now. Mm-hmm. Um, and those firefighter parts, they serve a function, right? Like uh, people need to just keep moving forward. Like Scott Bakula needs to just keep moving forward. Um. And also, if he did finally stop and deal with whatever his tragic backstory is, which I don't know because I didn't read the wiki, uh, (laughs) he might be able to just sit and enjoy some jazz with his friends. Because the firefighters wouldn't be so scared that he was going to feel that hard feeling. Yeah, I mean, I think if I'm hearing you right, it sounds like 
part of this is understanding that like the firefighters aren't wrong. No, they, they mean well. They mean well and they have mm-hmm. a like they have a place. Right? Like I'm thinking of Scott Bakula and just putting aside the mischaracterization of Lou Diamond, who's a prince and a saint forever, just for a moment. Um <laughs> like when when Lou Diamond like turns on Scott Bakula and holds him up at gunpoint, right? That would not be the time for Scott Bakula to be like, Lou Diamond, what you're doing right now is really hurting me. And it's reminding me of that one time <laughs> that right? my mom was late picking me up from softball practice. Mm-hmm. Correct. Like that, that would literally get him killed. Mm-hmm. Right. So the firefighter okay. that stepped in was like, whoa, Scott, we need to, we need, it's go time. We need, we need to like hit it. Mm-hmm. Correct. Correct, yeah. firefighter. However, later on in that in that penultimate scene where they're all at the bar listening to jazz, that might have been a time for him to turn to one of his many friends and be like, "Hey, this was like, this was really scary for me. This was really hard. It means so much that you were here." Scott doesn't do that. Scott leaves his friends who are enjoying jazz at this bar that inexplicably <laughs> he owns, goes upstairs <laughs> to like look out over Nolens or whatever he's doing, and then he gets shot. Mm. Hmm. Which could take us down a whole nother road, and I think this would be a good pod for the future. Mm-hmm. Which is how folks who have experienced trauma see tr- see danger that mimics their trauma, but they don't see danger where danger is. Yeah. So maybe put that in the, put that in the hopper. Uh, but we've been chatting for quite a while, so I think we should probably wrap. So what do we want people to take away today? Wow. That, you know, normally I have an answer. <laughs> and I'm going to, I'm going to put this one on easy writer. Okay. Because I think that, like, I internalized the structural framing of that film so much that it very much influenced this pod. And I find myself being like, but it's all a part of it, man. Um, <laughs> which is not helpful. So what are some potential takeaways? Um, like, be curious about freedom. Be curious mm-hmm. about freedom narratives. And... You know, interestingly enough, I don't necessarily think the takeaway here is like some sort of it's not some like dare program where it's like, don't do drugs, but it's more like be curious about what substances you turn to when and under what circumstances. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think that makes a lot of sense. The type of work that I do as a drug counselor is um, I use something called a harm reduction model which means that i don't tell people they need to be sober because who the fuck am i to tell people what to do with their minds and bodies that just feels honest to me i help people literally reduce the harm whatever that means so that might mean using less using in different circumstances keeping themselves safe when they use whatever and so i invite people to be a bit more mindful and notice when they want to use And we're using the term use pretty loosely here Mm -hmm. because it might it might be drugs and alcohol. It might be chemicals or it might be some other way that you numb out to try and feel a false freedom. Right. Like overworking to harken back to Scott Bakula is absolutely Mm -hmm. something that people use to 
numb out or to create distance. Like if they feel overwhelmed in their personal life and like, I will own this absolutely. Like I am, I've been notorious for doing this throughout my Spock life. Mm -hmm. When in doubt, when something is going on for me in a personal setting, I will double down on whatever I'm working on for Starfleet. In part because there's joy and competency and I feel at times so, so much, much, I, I feel much better equipped to manage something at work than I might at my own version of Scott Bakula's jazz bar. <laughs> the Bakular. <laughs> right. <laughs> and also, it's such a great distraction. Like, it's that phrase, like a busy box. Like, you know, have you ever felt like anxious in something in your life and you, you turn to an area? For some people, it's email. Mm. Um, you know, for some people, it's, I mean, it's definitely not writing clinical documentation, but of course, God, some, no, I wish it was. <laughs> right? Something else that doesn't require a lot of full attention, but that keeps you busy and keeps you distracted so you don't mm -hmm. have to worry about that uncomfy feeling. Yeah. And so I invite people to just notice, like notice when you're reaching for that and just tune in for a second. Like, oh, hey, I notice I'm reaching for that. What's happening right now? And it, being unattached to what the answer is, you know, the answer might be, I had a rough day. I want to scroll through Instagram. And then you just give you, you either give yourself permission to do it and you say, you know what? You're right. Self, I did have a rough day. I do just want to scroll Instagram. I'm going to let myself do that. It takes away the future shame. Mm -hmm. The future shame that says I shouldn't have done that. I was doing that without thinking. Because you paused and you thought about it. And you might pause and think, I had a rough day, I want to scroll Instagram. And then you might say, is that going to, actually, is that what I need? Do I need Instagram? Mm -hmm. Or do I need to pet a cat? Or hu hug my partner? Or, you know, color in a coloring book? Right. I mean, to go back to Dennis Hopper, Dennis did a lot of using of illegal substances when he was riding around on his bike. Mm-hmm. Um, not safe for Dennis or really anyone else on the road. But something that Dennis did a lot, and really if Dennis was in therapy and he was being honest with his therapist, like that was, that, that was going to be a long road to shift that. Mm -hmm. And so it would be for him, like, number one, like recognizing, like, yeah, I do this a lot, and there are reasons for it, pros and cons. Mm-hmm. When do I feel like it's serving me at all? When do I feel like it's not? Like, and when I am able to identify that it's not, like when I'm feeling sad and I want to talk to my friend and romantic partner Jack Nicholson, maybe rather than <laughs> dropping some acid and getting on my bike and riding for 55 miles, maybe I'll like, I don't know, call Jack up on a payphone because that's what was around back then. <laughs> And the harm reduction model would be like, maybe, maybe Dennis still drops the acid and then he calls his friend Jack at the payphone and leaves him a wildly incoherent message. Mm -hmm. But the emphasis would be on, okay, you did try to shift part of that behavior. Maybe next time you don't drop the acid, maybe you're going to go for the grass because that was what they called marijuana back then <laughs> and call your friend Jack. And maybe... As you like practice the behavior more and more and you get more comfortable, you'll get to a point where you don't feel like you need anything. You can just call your friend Jack. Yeah, because you feel okay about being in love with this charming Southern gentleman. 
Right. Who is beautiful in a cream-colored suit. <laughs> which is a difficult color to look beautiful in. Uh, some of the stuff we talked about today, addiction, harm reduction model. We got in a little bit of family systems because, you know, that's always fun. Mm -hmm. um, internal family systems. I snuck that in right at the end. <laughs> it was your Hail Mary pass, sir. It was my Hail Mary. It, you did it beautifully. And we really stuck to our core three fandoms today. Mm. Easy Rider, The Princess and the Frog, and NCIS New Orleans. Checkmate. <laughs> Part one and two. Literally two episodes. And uh, shout out to Lana Del Rey, I guess. Yeah, yeah. She, her song, Ride. A Spock favorite. Mm. We may be at the helm of this ship, but we know who really keeps us running. Thank you to Ensign Kyle Rebar, who composed our theme song. Thank you to Lieutenant Catherine Mandicat Duthie, who designed our beautiful cover art. And finally, thank you to our fabulous producer, Lieutenant Commander Brian Therens. They can take your bike, but they'll never take your freedom! Join us for our next app on Boring Self-Care. And be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And the very best way you can support our podcast is to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple iTunes. Please, really, if you listen to us, we would love to know that you listen to us. It brings us joy. It sparks joy when we see that we have a review and a rating. And be sure to tell your friends. And as always, live long and, and prosper. prosper.